0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Boundless Body Radio. I'm your host, Casey Ruff, and today we have another amazing guest introduced to you now. Dirk Friel is a former professional cyclist, the U.S. Ski Mountaineering 2020 Masters Champion, and the co-founder and chief evangelist of Peaksware Holdings. Peaksware consists of a collection of technology businesses with a strategic vision to help motivated individuals learn new skills through deliberate practice. This process includes setting a specific goal, getting expert instruction, performing focused practice, and receiving immediate feedback, and includes one of my favorite training platforms, Training Peaks, among several others. Dirk was selected as a 2017 Business Person of the Year by the Boulder, Colorado Chamber of Commerce. Dirk is the host of the Training Peaks Coach an endurance sports podcast that highlights the value of great coaching and effective training. He has top 10 placings in both the U.S. Pro Road and Criterium Championships. Dirk loves to explore the mountains through cycling and ski mountaineering adventures, along with his wife and daughter in Boulder, Colorado. Dirk Friel, what an absolute honor it is to welcome you to Balanced Body Radio.
1: Awesome. Yeah. Best intro ever. Jeez. Thank you so much. <laughs> we always
0: offer our guests at any point in the interview, if you want me to read it again, if you're feeling down on yourself, and you want me to read it again, I'll absolutely do that for you. <laughs> totally fine. I think everybody absolutely. needs needs to have their introduction read when they whenever they enter a room or whatever.
1: You need a daily daily hit, yeah. That's
0: right, exactly. (laughs)
1: Thanks. Uh, We did
0: mention that you are in Boulder, Colorado, just on the other side of the hill from us here in Salt Lake City. At the day of this recording, we have to ask, uh, a boots on the ground reporting, how is the hangover factor in Denver right now, the day after the avalanche clenched the Stanley Cup?
1: Well, it, you know, I definitely stayed up, watched it. Um, too bad that we played in Florida. Now the totally. team, is com- team is coming back. Um, so I'm sure there are going to be more celebrations. But I was not in downtown Denver last night. So I, maybe thankfully I was not. But uh, <laughs> not too bad of a hangover. But I, it's our third championship. Last time was 21 years ago. I definitely remember the last time they played. I was still a pro cyclist. and uh, Or the last time they won. So, uh, yeah, great, great. Really, really cool series. Great yeah. series.
0: Oh, yeah. It was awesome. Really good series. Um, I fell in love with the Avalanche back in those days as well. Endurance sports kind of came later yeah. in my life, but my first love was was hockey. And here in Salt Lake, obviously, wow. we, we don't have a professional team. And I remember the team moving to Colorado and watching the team with yeah. Joe Sackick and Forsberg and Patrick Waugh and Ray Bork, wow. like the yeah. classic, just lifting the yeah. cup for the first time <laughs> in his career. I think he was 80 years old or something.
1: Um, it's, it's funny because the only... I only started watching hockey because they came to Denver.
0: Oh, cool. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, that's awesome. I learned how yeah. to really hate the Red Wings at the same time. And I know what it's like in Denver. <laughs> you guys really love your sports. I've been to opening day in baseball, and that was like an event. Um, I made the mistake of making fun of the Broncos once at the Super Bowl where the ball sailed over um, uh, Peyton Manning's head. And I thought I was going to yeah. get up to a bar fight. Like, you guys take it real
1: serious. <laughs> Yeah, you know, too bad the Nuggets, you know, didn't go farther in the series. Um, but yeah, we love our sports for sure. And, I, you know, opening day, I, we have like a flyover, like the Jets flyover for opening day. And I've definitely been a lifelong Broncos fan. We have new owners now, um, the Waltons of the, the Walmart. Family yeah, and now, so new owners of the Broncos. So, yeah, pretty, pretty crazy.
0: Well, that's awesome. Well, let's talk about you and your story, especially with endurance sport. Did you have much of a choice yeah. um, to get into endurance sport? It really seems like it was very much literally in your DNA.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so much so that when I was 14, 14 or 15, you know, the family summer vacation, we got a one way ticket from Denver to Oregon. And we got on our bikes at the airport, and we rode down to San Diego, like down the coastline. And they would a one way ticket out of San Diego back to Denver. So that was our family vacation. Several weeks on the road, just riding our bikes, point to point. You know, my parents ran marathons. Then they got into triathlon. I started to dabble in triathlon when I was young, but then I just took to cycling, and I just loved the bike. So when I was basically twelve, is I've been racing. I I realized this week I've been racing bikes every year since 1982. Wow. So just decades, decades. And I'm racing with guys now that are, you know, weren't obviously born back then. So, uh, So sometimes my undershirt is older than the guys I'm racing with, you know, (laughs) that's crazy. So yeah, it's definitely been part of the family.
0: What makes a bike so special? Like there's something about a bike. that's just, it's like mystical. It's different than a skateboard or rollerblades or whatever. Like what, what makes a bike so special?
1: You know, for me, it was going long distances and being, being able to connect communities you know i could actually ride when i was 14 15 you know from oregon to basically mexico you know that was like oh my god that was so cool i did that you know and you know i could ride to other cities and towns um i would ride from fort collins which is where i grew up north of boulder and i would ride to boulder when i was a teenager just to watch the coors classic you know i'd watch the you know bernardino and greg <laughs> LeMond and the big names here in boulder and then I'd ride home and bonk halfway and go to 7-Eleven and pound Coke just to try <laughs> to make it home, you know, and that was part of the adventure. It was, it was just always an adventure, you know, out on the bike. And I still find that to be the case. I'm still literally finding new trails, you know, in Boulder in the you know, our county. Um, I'm finding new new um, you know, springs, you know, to, to drink water from, you know, natural spring water, it's you know. Best. And that's just best. like Yeah, that's awesome. Um doesn't take a lot of skill, but the more skill you have, the more enjoyable it becomes, you know. So I'm I'm way into gravel racing now. That's kind of like what I'm what I'm doing now. And and it's the same, you know, it's offset in the winter by my ski mountaineering. And I love racing schemo. It's now um gonna be in the Olympics for the first time in Italy um in 2026. Wow. And so I kind of do six months of skiing and six months of cycling, but actually. I skied on Saturday here in Breckenridge, I but I, again, I made, I made it an adventure. You know, I, you know, you hike up, um, get to snowline, and just do about 1200 vert, you know, a ski run and say you did it skied in June. So it's just, yeah. It's a, I think like making fitness fun is kind of number one, especially as you get older, you know, um, make it part of just your adventure and part of living and then the, the health benefits just come along with it.
0: Yeah, totally. Cycling's unique too, because I feel like with so many other sports, especially like team sports, you really have an age where you kind of peak out. And with cycling, mm. it's just miles. It's seasons. It, it, it accumulates so long. I know plenty of 50, 60-year-olds that could kick my ass on the bike right now. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's true. Definitely aerobic, uh, conditioning builds over time. You certainly can, can, peak and, you know, go down from there, but what's great is you have age group, you know, competitions. Um, but I, that's also one reason I enjoy like taking up new sports, you know, ski mountaineering is basically running uphill and then, you know, just bombing downhill. And so I'm still getting faster each year, you know, in that sport, just cause it is new, but it's a, a, a great, kind of offset it really benefits cycling as well so yeah what's great about endurance sports is like you said you can kind of do it do it your entire lifetime unlike you know you can definitely play hockey your entire life but you're not going to be as as uh taking the hits as well (laughs) not as well (laughs) that's
0: true man so i look back on the time that you were coming up in pro cycling and the people that you rode with and even beat like bobby Julik. um you know meeting um Oh, I just blanked on his name. Hank like all of these guys, like these are the who's who of, yep. you know, American cycling and even abroad in, in the late nineties, early two thousands. What was that like?
1: Yeah, that was crazy times. You know, I got a, you know, when I was just 13 years old, I basically set my sights on, I've got to get to Belgium. i got to get over there and race. Um, and so when I was 19, I did, a, you know, a, a semester at university and then I told my parents, I'm dropping out of school, got a one-way ticket to Belgium and I did the next five seasons, you know, racing in Belgium. But prior to that, you know, I grew up here in Colorado racing, you know, with the likes of Bobby Julik, as you mentioned. Um, I beat him in the state championship in, uh, I think 1996 when I was 16 That's and awesome. he was second. He went on to get third, you know, third in the Tour de France. But uh, anyways, I, I still have that. <laughs> I still have that against him. Good. Um, you know, and the likes of George Sheenkaffy, et cetera. You know, we had a great program at the Olympic Training Center here. So as a junior, you really, you wanted to get selected for December camp. There are 50 juniors that were invited and they would stay on campus at the Olympic Training Center in December. And then from there, you tried to make the top 20 and get invited back to April camp. And then from there, could you make the world's team? You know, it was really kind of like the cycle that we got into as juniors. And it was a heyday. You know, we had hundreds of, you know, 80 plus kids on the start line, you know, for junior races, which is just unheard of now. Um, So it was definitely a great time. Um, And getting over to Belgium, there was no email, no cell phone. I'd call home once a month from the payphone down in the corner, and my mom would just kind of cry while, <laughs> while I, you know, was on the phone. Um, so it was just a different, different era for sure. And, uh, yeah, it was great. It was, it was, um, it was, it was hard though, you know, for sure going over and kind of making it, figuring it out on your own, Um, But I loved it. I would do it all over again.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. For the listener who may not understand this, can you explain why it's such a big deal to to race in Belgium? I I, I don't think a lot of people really truly appreciate what the racing, the difference in racing is between here and there.
1: I often say it's a different sport. Um, You know, as a young American going over to Belgium, it was incredibly difficult just to finish a bike race. I mean, your goal is to finish. Um, if you finish, then you're like, can I get 30th place? You know, and this is in, you know, the amateur races over there, just incredibly hard, difficult, the conditions, but the talent pool is just so massive. You know, you would literally open up the newspaper and see, you know, there might be five races tomorrow and you have to decide which race to go to. Um, so you'd ride to the race, race, ride home, get extra training. Um, it was just part of the culture that they have over there. So even though with a very small population, they have just immense talent pool to draw from and it's just generations, you know, of building cyclists. So it's kind of like if you were, you know, into soccer, um, trying to go over and make it, you know, in Italy or something where the culture is just so deep. Um, yeah, it was just, it was just the place to go to try and make it and, uh, see if you could try and go pro, you know?
0: Yeah. I think of it as like, if you have a baseball team in you know, Boston and they go down to Florida, they're going to learn real quick. Like this is real baseball. And you take that same Florida team down to the Dominican Republic. And these kids with like broomsticks will clean the floor with you guys. Like it's a completely <laughs> different league. You get into some of like the, the B leagues and C leagues of cycling in Belgium. That is some hard, hard racing that you just can't replicate here.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, it's like if you're in, into baseball in Italy, you know, I mean the goal is to make it to America, right? right. So it's yep. it's, it's the very same thing, just the 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 talent pool and how how um athletes are developed um and just ingrained and and uh yeah, it becomes just this absolute lifestyle like through and through every second of the day is just trying to become a better athlete, you know, and just so living with a host family over there my first year really, you know, kind of set the tone for trying to become a professional athlete. And they would teach me so much about recovery and preparation. Um So yeah, it was, it was amazing if, to- to absorb that culture over there.
0: Yeah. That's so interesting. I want to spend a lot of time talking about what I'm already mentioned in the introduction training peaks, one of my favorite training platforms, but before we do, let's set that up a little bit and say like, what was, what was training like back in those days? What were some of the gaps, uh, that in, in the way that people approached training and preparing for races? Um, that's a little bit different now.
1: Yeah. I mean, back then so much was built on just tradition and it was just more miles effectively was the tradition. Um, also it was based on just racing as much as you could, you know, we had so many race days and you would, I mean, we were racing three times a week, you know, weekend, um, and midweek, um, you know, you had a, what's, what's termed a Kermes, you know, it's like a a local circuit race. Um, you had, you could, you could choose a race every single day of the week if you didn't want to train. And a lot of guys would do that. So it really was more about racing and then you'd recover between the races on, and then you'd go on to the next race. Whereas now, you know, it, the emphasis is more on the training in terms of like preparing for the race and guys will have much fewer race days. Now, I think I read today that like Kojakar has like 25 race days so far and, you know, going into the Tour de France. Um, so it used to be, you know, 50, 60 race days at this point of the season for the for the Tour de France, you know, defending champion. Um, so really it's more about peaking, fine-tuning. I guess also individualization is really kind of come into play. It used to be that teams would just train together, they would go to training camps, and every single rider would do the very same training as the group, you know, and it's it's you know, it's it's still kind of like that in a lot of, a lot of sports, but I think cycling is really um, been great because they it, it's become much more individualized. Um, you might be at a training camp, you know, preparing for a big race, uh, you know, with a pro team and you're going out, but everybody has different intervals that day and you might do a warm up together and then everybody goes off and does their intervals, you know, monitored by a performance, you know, staff member. Um, and then they come back, the main cool down, you know, back to the hotel or whatever it may be. So I think that's been a great benefit to cycling to have less emphasis on the races, more emphasis on the training, more emphasis on peaking and more emphasis on individualization, you know, of the actual training itself. So that's, that's absolute black and white, you know, difference back in the nineties, it was y'all trained for the same races and you just trained, you know, very similarly.
0: Yeah. So interesting. So let's talk about training peaks. How did that become something that you knew you had to create?
1: <laughs> it was just an absolute need. Um, I guess towards the end of my pro cycling career, I, I retired in 2002 in about 96, 97, I started coaching with my father. Uh, it was Joe Friel. And so that was a family business was uh, effectively a, you know, a coaching business. And when I started coaching with my father, um, we were literally using the fax machine and email attachments, you know, and not everybody had email. So, uh, you know, everybody had access to a fax machine. It seemed like, so we would, you know, fax or email um, you know, the next week's worth of training. Um, We'd wait for a fax or email attachments to come back. Um, So we'd have, Pieces of paper that, you know, coming out of the fax machine that we would three hole punch, put in a notebook, put up on the shelf. Um, plus, I had heart rate files from Polar, you know, dot HRM files. Um, power started to become available in the late 90s. So we had dot SRM files, dot CSV files from PowerTap. So you, and back then, if you had Polar, PowerTap, SRM, whatever else it might be, you would actually have a desktop software platform open. so I might have four different platforms open to analyze all this different data plus pieces of paper. so you can see how inefficient that was I and mean, we just had data all over the place. you couldn't cross-reference a lot of data you know in nice pretty graphs. so and it was late 90s like hey dad, there's this thing called the internet I think we could take advantage of that. Uh, could you imagine, you know, having our 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 athletes all accessible from any computer in the world and have their calendars and all of their training data, again, accessible from any computer in the world. That was just amazing to think about. And not only for us as coaches to, to make our lives easier, but it would actually deliver better quality service to our athletes. If they could see all the data and they could access it from any computer in the world and and just uh kind of make more sense of all the data coming in so neither of us were programmers you know of course my, my father and i don't have any kind of tech background so luckily the best man of my wedding gear fisher uh was a web developer and so we approached him with the with the concept and idea in 99 and he was like yeah let's let's work on this and he had a day job so we stay up late nights, you know, developing this, this, uh, web platform, web app. And, uh, it went live in early 2000 and we initially, it was just for our clients. So we had about 30 athletes on it, um, in mid 2000, but then other coaches started to hear about it and other coaches actually wanted to use it. So we started to sell access to it, which is now known as SAS, you know, software as a service. So from day one, we've been a pay-for service, never taken an ad dollar in our 23 years. Um, but lo and behold, we had revenue coming in that was no longer coaching based; it was software sales. So we quickly, you know, separated the business, created a separate bank account, uh, created a separate LLC, and um, effectively from that day forward, I spent more and more time, you know, building that business up. And um, yeah, never in my wildest dreams did I think I'd start a software company, but here I am. I have not only Training Peaks, but other um, apps as well. And it's really grown and been, yeah, it's been a great, great ride. I'm very fortunate. Um, so that's really kind of the story behind how Training Peaks. You know, came to be.
0: Wow, and I know that it's evolved so much over time, and and so many different features and benefits. If somebody were to stop you in the street and ask you, you know, what is Training Peaks, if they had no idea, how would you yeah. describe it to them today?
1: I'd say, do you have a goal? Or are you entered for an event? We can help you. <laughs> you know, if you have, if your question is, what should I do tomorrow to optimize my performance in an upcoming event? that's the crosshairs of training peaks. That's where we, you know, we can help you out, get expert instruction, um, to make the most of your training. And I always say, you know, recovery days are more important than the hard days, but most everybody just focuses on the hard days and they try and go hard every single day. And that's the best way to plateau and to not maximize your fitness. And there needs to be ups and downs, ebb and flow and periodization. and Recovery is such a, Big part of preparing for an event, I think way too many people show up to their a race um, too tired, too fatigued, and so having kind of that third party there, that objective observer, um, helping you, you know, figure things out and helping you hold back when you need to hold back and take re- you know recovery days, um, that's really important. So, yeah, we're all about helping people get better at the things they love to do and helping them prepare for events and make. I guess, optimize their fitness.
0: Yeah. Do you ever, this, this always surprises me. Do you ever get surprised when people maybe have a budget of, you know, let's say a thousand dollars and they could, they could either buy some really good coaching and buy a plan. You know, maybe they have plans in place for other things in their life, other goals, work goals. Maybe they have a financial plan for retirement yet. They'll take that money and go get some carbon wheels versus investing in a coach or in a plan that can really make such a big difference. Are you ever surprised by that, that, that more people aren't willing to do that
1: yeah, you know, it's amazing how sometimes little things that a coach could bring you and and make you aware of can make you so much faster with very with like actually no increase in fitness, you know, with like a better bike fit, you know, or how to develop a certain skill set, um, how to actually show up on race day not tired. Um, you know, that can make you so much faster. And that oftentimes might mean you're going to be faster than a new carbon set of wheels, right? So the current set of wheels you might have right now are just fine. You, you can take 20 minutes off your finishing time with certain tips and tricks. Um, if you're talking about getting to the podium, you know, and you want to be top three in your age group, that's where you might need, you know, the equipment uh, expenditure to try and like, I don't know, cut down on the seconds per kilometer. Um, But if we're talking minutes per kilometer, that's really where, you know, coaching comes into play seconds per kilometer. That's where equipment comes into play.
0: Yeah, totally agree. I I, I notice this a lot too. Like just because somebody buys a road bike, doesn't necessarily make them a cyclist. You've already talked about skills and there is an incredible amount of skills that you need to have to be really a cyclist. You need to learn how to pedal properly, even things like cornering, uh, descending. There's certain ways to steer and position your body that you wouldn't, you wouldn't know if you just go to the bike shop and buy a bike, you need somebody to help kind of coach you along with some of the, you know, the the whole, you know, litany of unwritten rules in cycling, the Voluminati rule set of, you know, all these things that you should be following. It's really important and different than other sports, where if you don't have a mentor or a coach, it makes it very difficult, I would say.
1: Yeah, 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 very true. You know, anyone can pedal a bike, but, you know, a coach might be like, hey, did you realize you only pedal at 60 RPM, you know, and you're always overgeared? And hey, let's use our derailleurs. It's amazing how many people don't actually use the mechanical technology they have at hand, you know, efficiently and effectively. Um, So, you know, to be, you know, a cyclist really, it is good to be able to pedal at 60 RPM, but also it's equally valuable to be able to maintain 110 RPM or more, you know, and so that range of skill sets just in pedaling RPMs alone Can can get you a lot of great benefit. Um, Then on top of that, can you do a hundred RPM in the arrow position? You know, and oh, can you hold the arrow position for three or more hours? You know, you may not even need arrow bars if you can't stay in that position for more than ten minutes. Then you know, there's other things we need to work on, right? Um, So yeah, there's so much to skills, um, descending, climbing, positioning. Um, especially when you're talking road racing, you know, now you have the whole, uh, litany of, um, tactics to be discussed. You know, there's tactics in triathlon as well. Um, triathlon, however, tends to be more of an individual time trial, right? But when you're in a group of 20, 50 athletes and you're doing a road race or a gravel race, you know, now tactics start to come into play. So a coach can really help you, uh, a lot of the way there in terms of the, how to, I guess pacing as well, and not only the tactics of working within a group, but in triathlon, you know, pacing is so, so, so important. I see way too too many people go out, you know, way too hard the first 20 minutes of an Ironman. You know, you shouldn't even, even see threshold, right? Let alone be above threshold in the first 20 minutes of Ironman. And then they lose uh, 60 minutes on the back end because of that first hour that they went too hard. So a coach can really certainly help with, with the pacing strategy. And again, that's going to take off a lot more minutes than a new set of carbon wheels right yeah. there.
0: Yeah, totally agree. Very well explained. Training peaks is really unique because it's for, you know, the, the athlete, but it's also for the coach itself, which again, I, I find really unique. So let's talk from the athlete yeah. side of things, whether or not they decide to get coaching, what are some of the best parts about training peaks that they can be utilizing to be able to improve their performance?
1: First of all, just record every single workout, whether you analyze it or not. Just get it saved and recorded. Get it in the system. It's so easy these days to have your Garmin or Suunto or Wahoo or whatever it is, and hit start, stop, and have it connected through your mobile app. It'll automatically upload, you know, to Training Peaks or wherever else you want it. But get it saved somewhere. So that later, either you or a professional coach you work with can actually access and leverage the data. There's so many secrets in that collection of data that you may not know or realize yourself. But if you just had a one-hour consultation with the coach paid, whatever it might be, 75 bucks or something, get a one-hour consultation, give that coach access to your account, they could find all kinds of secrets in there. Um, so I'd say that's the number one thing, just get things recorded. Um, from there, you might get more educated in terms of what does the data mean? You know, how am I pacing my workouts? Um, what does threshold mean? You know, just understanding, creating zones and the benefits of why there are zones and what type of zone should I focus on today? Um, is it a recovery day? Is it a hard day? You know, that's where the data starts to come into play. And then that historical data helps you prepare for tomorrow and how, how to apply that. I always say, when you go into year two of training peaks, the data becomes infinitely more powerful because now you can say, what did I do this week? What did I do this month last year? You can review last year. What, what, well, you know, where did I peak? Uh, Where did I falter? Where did I get injured? Where did I get sick? Okay. What are lessons to be learned? from those highlights and lowlights, that we can then apply those lessons learned to this year. So once you have a data set that you can can now compare against year over year, again, that data becomes infinitely more powerful, let alone if you have five or more years of the data, then you really start to see the trends. I think in training peaks, we look at things very holistically Again, as I mentioned, recovery days are almost you know more important than the hard days. But you can actually see that in some of our reports. You know the performance management chart. You know we track fitness, fatigue, and form. Um, it's not the holy grail, but once you have your data um, built up, you can actually see um, the trends um, over time and learn from those mistakes to try and make next year even better. So. Yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot in there. You can get dig as deep as you want. Um, hopefully it starts out really in a, a, a low level, understandable manner, of just like how many hours did I do this week? What's my goal for next year or next week? You know, should I, um, can I accomplish that goal for next week, which might be, I need to ride my bike 12 hours. That might be the goal, right? So how did you compare versus planned? You know, actual versus planned is probably where where, where you will start. But as you start to um, understand the data coming in more and more, you can continually kind of get more sophisticated with it um, or work with a, a coach to help you interpret, you know, the data that is coming in.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, this applied literally an hour ago. I was talking with my client who's on the East coast, who's preparing for another Ironman. She did one last year. Uh, She um, just got back from a camp where she got to recon the course in Lake Placid. And so we were able to look at all of the data from her recon ride, all the power data, all the heart rate data. We were able to look at, okay, this is four weeks out from this race. Let's go back last year. Here's the 112 miles you rode four weeks out from your race last year. What are you doing better? And it gave me like seriously, like eight or 10 talking points, things to call out things you did really well, things that we could maybe do better. Your pace maybe could have been a little bit held back more in the beginning. There's tons of Hills. How much are you in your arrow bars? You may be better off in your road bike, like with, without seeing the numbers and being able to compare again from last year to this year on a different course, I, I would have lost all of that. It's so valuable to see that.
1: Yeah, you know, and we've been talking about objective, you know, numbers, but subjective data is obviously equally and sometimes oftentimes more important, you know. Agreed. How did you feel? What's your mood? Are are you prepared for today? Are you feeling confident for tomorrow? You know, how was your sleep? You know, that how what's your stress level? You know, that those type of things can also be tracked in training peaks if you happen to have a Whoop um, you know, those type that all that data can end up in training peaks. What was your number of hours of sleep, REM, deep sleep, that type of stuff. Oftentimes the coach wants a lot more access to the data than the athlete. And that's what the athlete is paying the coach for, you know, to be that expert and to kind of be that scientist, you know, behind the, the curtain. Um, but I definitely believe in subjective data and feel and levels of stress, preparedness, confidence, mood that, you know, that can override the data. Yeah. If you're not prepared for today's workout, let's not do it. Yep. You know what I mean? It's better to take today easy and let's see how you sleep tonight and what your, what your stress level is tomorrow. Cause it was a bad day at work or whatever it might be. Right. Yeah. There's those times where it might be prescribed to do these intervals today after work and you are just absolutely not ready to do it. And that's okay. And that's where you have a conversation with the coach Um, and then we can adjust, you know, moving forward. Yeah. So, um, yeah.
0: That's right. No, I love that. I worked on a metabolic cart for over a decade. And so I had the opportunity to validate heart rate zones, aerobic base, anaerobic thresholds, VO2 scores, um, fat oxidation, carbohydrate oxidation at rest and at exercise with different (laughs) modalities on the bike, on the treadmill, whatever. And so you get all these objective measurements, but we would ask them subjectively, RPE, rate of perceived exertion, how hard do you think you're working right now? And I can say with 90, I don't know, 5% confidence, I know that you are going to burn a very high amount of fat. If you tell me that your RPE is a five out of 10, it was almost always directly correlated Uh with the numbers that I was seeing. And so (laughs) you're right. I'm I'm so glad you brought that up is there is so much value in the objective numbers, but I don't think it's more value than the subjective of how are you feeling? What's going on in your life? How's work? How's travel? What's the weather? Like there's so many other things that play into it. So it's important to take all of that into consideration.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and also building confidence. You know, the, the data can help build confidence as well. Hopefully, the training is building that confidence to race day. That, like, I have all my bases covered. You know, I've done this. I've done this. You know, the the amount of work. I've I've hit these numbers. If this happens in the race, I'm confident that I can react and do whatever it takes in the race. The numbers take a back backstage in a way. Oftentimes. And I say that more from a road cycling, um, mindset when there's the tactics and the key person is doing the attack. It doesn't matter what your power meter says. You just need to go at that moment, you know, in the crosswind section or whatever it might be. Triathlon is, is oftentimes different. You know, you aren't really reacting to your competitors. If you're in the age group professionals do, but most people don't. Um, you need to stay within your kind of like given pacing strategy, if you will. And and that's where, um, data can, can set the tone on the bike. But then I think, you know, when you get to the run, sometimes it's just heart, you know, numbers don't really matter when you get to the run. It's like, what can you do? How do you feel? What's your confidence level? Um, nutrition strategy is a big, big part of, uh, you know, being race day ready. What's your nutrition strategy? Um, so yeah. Yeah, it's all, it's all really cool, fun stuff at, to work through with an athlete, you know, cause oftentimes you're just like, as a coach, just like living exactly what they're living. You can't wait to see how they do on race day.
0: Totally. Oh yeah, totally. You got your <laughs> tracker open, you're tracking your athlete through all the different checkpoints yeah. and everything. Yeah. Always oh, super man. exciting.
1: It's great. Uh, the best, best thing though, from my experiences as being a coach, when I got to work with the European professionals, but I was living in Colorado, the eight hour time difference is Awesome. Because I can wake up and I literally I would be able to watch their races either on TV or on the web. And I could see them and see how they did, you know, cross the finish line. I could see the live results. Within 30 minutes, I would get the file. Like, oh my God, they're on the team bus. You know, you get the, the file, you get to analyze it, start text messaging, you know, this and that. What went good? What didn't? I saw this tomorrow. And then you start talking about tomorrow so i it was you know i thought of it as like just in time coaching like you're living you're living the experience with the athlete and i loved that when at those times and the weekends obviously are the busiest time off you know for that you know um but yeah that was that was really fun times uh you know seeing in the moment what what your athletes are doing and and being able to communicate with them via text or phone or and I love getting the data, you know, they'd cross finish line, get to their hotel data comes in, you can analyze it. And I'm, you know, oftentimes my athletes are doing stage races. So you were talking about what happened today versus what we plan to do tomorrow. You don't do that in triathlon, but still you can get the data from a tri- from a triathlete. You can talk to them that evening. Um, a great story. My dad coached Ryan Bolton, uh, for the very first olympic triathlon in sydney year 2000 i think it was and ryan crossed the finish line didn't do that great didn't go to plan my dad was all worried about what you know what's his athlete going to say now you know olympics are over and this is basically an eight-year preparation cycle for the olympics and ryan first thing he said to my dad was dad, joe there's no workout for tomorrow what, what am i supposed to do tomorrow <laughs> and like he was already thinking about like a transition to Ironman, you know, and my dad was like, Oh wow. Okay. Uh, Yeah. Well take tomorrow off.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You can't take an off day after the Olympics. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. That's amazing. We've talked a lot about the athlete side of things. I do want to make sure we hammer home the coaching side of things. And to preface that, I want to ask you, since you are a coach, you've worked with, and I, I don't know how many coaches, tons and tons of coaches over the year. What makes a really great coach?
1: Oh man. I, I love coaches that are yearning to, to learn they, no matter what level they coach, they know, they don't know it all. And I think coaches are, should be really good generalists. You might have your focus area, but realize you're not an expert in everything. And to be open to other experts and even building a team of experts around your athlete. You know, are you an expert in nutrition? Are you an expert in bike fitting? Are you an expert in sports psychology? Are you an expert in strength training? These are all areas that athletes need help with and certain areas more than others, depending on the athlete. So I always say the athlete's an individual, they're unique two athletes may be training for the very same event. They have very similar, um, physiology, but they might have completely different training programs. And so I love a coach that can accept that and can, can take advice from other experts to apply within their, their coaching practice. Um, so I guess that's, uh, kind of, advice or what I like to see in in good coaches.
0: Yeah, that's a really good response. And I'll use myself as an example of somebody who was not that way for so long. It was 2013, I believe, uh, another cycling coach and I wanted to run an off season cycling program. And it was all based on power meters indoors and using training peaks. And I remember opening up training peaks and there's charts and graphs and numbers and more numbers and more, more, more numbers and all this data. And I remember just having such a fixed mindset about the whole thing and thinking like, Oh, this is way too complicated. I don't really understand this. I don't even own a power meter. So I I'm going to let, let the other coach mess with the data. And I'm just going to help people, you know, with the drills and realizing that there are great resources out there, like your dad's book, all about power meters and how to analyze the data. And you really have to have that kind of, um, you know, yet mentality of like, yeah, I don't know, know how to understand this as a coach yet, but I can start to learn. I can pick things up along the way. And you guys do such a great job of bringing that educational piece along with that. There's so many resources and articles and videos and things that you can watch as a coach to start to get better and better at these things.
1: Yeah. Training Peaks University is kind of a big um, resource for, for coaches to take, take courses and learn more in different aspects, not just within Training Peaks app itself, but, you know, sports psychology, nutrition, et cetera. Um, so yeah, we, and we like to work with the federations, you know, USA cycling, USA triathlon, British cycling, et cetera, you know, to try and help with their educational efforts as well. So education is never ending, you know, as I, as I mentioned. So yeah, that's great that you, you can like realize it and seek out, you know, resources to try and improve your own knowledge base as a coach. So yeah, absolutely agree.
0: Yeah. The coaching process has different stages that you guys have described. And first is kind of making a plan. Maybe we can start there. Like how, mm-hmm. how do you, how do you know how to pick the right plan or create the right plan for what you're doing?
1: From an, af- from a coach side of things, let's or say from athlete. the
0: coach's side of things to, to help them understand how to, how to create the overall plan for somebody.
1: Oh, geez. I think onboarding is really where it all kind of starts. Every coach has different onboarding, you know, process each athlete is different. As I said, you know, in terms of like how to get, how to start programming for an athlete, a lot depends on how much historical data you have from that athlete. You know, if you have zero data, very little information about this athlete, um, and they're a new young athlete to the sport, you know, number one, most important thing is just consistency. You know, can we get this athlete consistently training? You know, and it might just be, again, shooting for eight hours this week or whatever it might be. But then on the other side of the spectrum, if you have five years worth of power data from an athlete, they're very consistent. Um, They're trying to eke out, you know, a a little bit more fitness here, here or there to try and like make the Olympic team, you know, it's going to be quite a bit different. You know, um, so you're going to work within the bounds of what they've done in the past, but where are their gaps? What limiters do they have and what should we focus in on? Um, they've got the basic skill set, you know, nailed. Um, they've got a lot of great fitness from the years built up. Again, it just kind of depends on what that onboarding looks like and who you're working with, um, how, how to go about, you know, creating a, a program going forward.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think assessing in the beginning and getting to know that person, you're right. that onboarding process, I think is so critical to understanding your athlete and, you know, in particular, why they're doing something that gives context to some of the training. And we, we, we create as coaches, the program, but we have to explain to the athlete, like this is the program. This is my, call it an educated guess. I'm taking a really good stab at what I think is going to give you the best results based on coaching a lot of other people in the past and creating plans for them. But as the athlete, you also have to understand that you're never going to execute a plan a hundred percent of the time. Your compliance right. might be quite low. And just because, you know, this one day says you have this one specific workout with these specific intervals, it doesn't necessarily mean you're not factoring in so many other things and making adjustments as you go.
1: Yeah, exactly. And that was the just in time coaching. I was talking about, you know, reacting kind of in the moment. Um, and you're, you're, actually editing tomorrow's plan. You know, you might set out, yeah, we're going to have guardrails. I think it's great to have these guardrails of a plan. This is like what we're kind of expecting to see, but being able to be flexible with changes, you know, the coach needs to be flexible, the athlete needs to be flexible and as new data is coming in, um new reflections then you know be able to adapt that going forward within the confines of some some parameters. You're not gonna go wildly off, right? Um, but certainly plans sh- should be editable for sure. You know, training plans you might they might be great. You know, spend $49 on an eight-week training plan. Like that's that's great, especially the, the newer you are to a sport. It gives you structure, it gives you some accountability, not to a person yet, but actually to some targeted numbers. Um, but you can get to a point where that's only gonna get you to a certain level. At a that, you know, a certain level you need, need to get that expert instruction on an individual basis. Um, and that's where the graduation from a kind of a pre-built training plan to a personal coach really becomes a benefit. Um, and ideally you do it from day one, but you know, that's not right for everybody. So, you know, you're dabbling in the sport, you have this kind of goal out there to finish a race, you know, a a training plan might get you, you know, might help you immensely.
0: Yeah, I I agree. I think, especially in the beginning, any training program is going to get you some result for sure. Like to, to really nitpick this plan versus this plan. And they're both eight weeks at at designed to improve your performance. You choose either one, whatever you like. If one's five bucks cheaper, choose that one. It's going to increase your performance, but you're right. There is that the, the, the personal coaching aspect. Um, so for the coaches, what are some of the key metrics they want to be looking at in training peaks that you guys have created to help the coach understand what's going on?
1: I guess what we're really known for is training stress score. And that leads into what I mentioned earlier, the performance management chart. So what we try and do is kind of give a score to every single workout. And we base it based on, you know, intensity and volume. So the int- it's easy to track volume. You know, how many hours did you train today? How many minutes did you train this week? But intensity becomes the harder factor to track and the relative intensity. So, you know, finding your threshold, finding your zones is really kind of where it all starts. Um, from there, what kind of device do you have? What sport are you doing? How are you tracking intensity? You know, it, it's going to come down to heart rate, pace or power. Power tends to be the most accurate. Um, if you are running, you don't have a, there are running power meters. Um, you can certainly track power through running now. Not a lot of runners have power meters for running, so they're going to now look at pace or heart rate. Um, if you're running, uh, in on the trails in the mountains, then pace is going to be irrelevant because you're going to do an 18 minute uphill mile, right? And you're going to be hiking it. Um, so that then heart rate will, will, will play a bigger factor at that point. But we, we basically bring the, the volume and the intensity into a score called the training stress score. And then that score builds every single day. And then you get this exponentially weighted rolling average kind of over time, um, and then you see your trends. So we really need to see multiple weeks of data coming in, and then you start to see your your form building. Your chronic training load is what we call it. Your CTL. Um, once you have form, then you start to see your recovery days, recovery weeks, and you get your acute training load. Um, you kind of your well, your your fitness is the chronic training load. Um, and then you build the acute training load, which is more about your your recovery and freshness. Um, training stress balance is really is what you're tracking at the end of the day. So you can have great, really high fitness. The blue line, the chronic training load, continually goes up. But if you show up on race day with really bad form, the training stress balance is negative. It doesn't matter how fit you were; you were too tired on race day. So you actually need to lose fitness, you know, coming into your peak race. That's hard for a lot of athletes to do. To see that chronic training load drop, but you need to get rid of some of that fitness to gain the freshness. So the training stress balance comes in, you know, starts to rise. You get in a positive TSB. Um, so ideally, you're in a positive state of of kind of freshness on race day. And that's unique to every single person. You know, some people might perform best at a positive five. Some need to be 15, 20, right? Um, That's where the historical data comes into play. So a lot of what we track is based around training stress score leading into the performance management chart. And that that just kind of like, that's the um, holistic view of training to see like, how are you preparing and how are you looking coming into the peak um, phase of your, of your season? Yeah, I,
0: this is so critical and such an important part, uh, point to, to hammer home is a lot of people look at, especially like high-end, you know, uh, cyclists or endurance athletes, uh, Tadej Pogaccio is a great example of that. You might look at him and say, wow, he's in great shape. He's in great shape all the time, but you don't, you don't realize he is on a very, very, very structured program that gets him to his absolute peak in July to compete at the Tour de France. And he's not in peak form in November. He's not in peak form four weeks out. He's doing some, of the hardest training probably feels like absolute garbage before he has to taper and have those things switch and so w- when when you can understand that you now get to time your seasons so that you know where your hard training blocks are you know where the the priority shifts over to more of the recovery side of things so that you can really peak at certain times because to the idea that you're going to be peaked an entire season it just it just doesn't happen. I won so many races and criteriums in June and July because everybody was going full gas in March and April. And let them yeah. win those races and you're, you know, you're going to be exhausted come May and June. We saw it all the time.
1: Yeah. You have to be fresh to allow the fitness to shine through.
0: You know what I mean? And again,
1: if you show up too tired, you know, you're just kind of ah, somebody else may be less fit than you less fit, but if you show up too tired, they can beat you. You know what I mean? So, so showing up with, with that freshness is probably one of the hardest things for an athlete to learn. And you, you see way too many athletes training way too hard that week, you know, that final week leading into a race and that's not going to make or break. The, it could break the race, but it's not, not going to make the race. That's right. You know what I mean? That extra interval that you want to eke out three days before the race is <clears throat> not going to help you on race day. Yeah. You know? Um, so it's more about a lot of times, you know, leading into the, your, your peak race intensity might rise. Intensity should stay the same, but it's more the volume side that needs to come down. The number of intervals you do, Or the number of hours that you do will come down, but that intensity actually may slightly go up or or maintain. Um, but again, it's not doing extra intervals. So the volume is going to, is going to more drop coming into your peak phase. Yeah. The
0: great point. I love that. You have made training peak set up to be what you call coach centric. Um, and in Mm. this world of data and technology, and we know kind of the direction things are going with AI and whatever, you know, computers are going to be smarter than us and probably already are anyway. Why is it important to focus on the human element of the coaching using the platform and the data as a tool rather than turning everything over to the computer or in other words why do we think that a computer is not going to replace a human when it comes to this type of coaching
1: yeah i think we touched on a lot of it already you know that that subjective side of coaching the human side of coaching we truly believe in human coaches we believe technology can make the coach smarter faster better you know interpretation of the data is where we want to come into play and help the coach out, but I don't see in our lifetime a computer taking into account your mood, you know, all, all the stress you have from work or the problems you have with your family. You know, um, again, like there's so much outside of just numbers that affect training and the motivation level and mood, et cetera. Um, so, helping athletes set a goal. You know I think a computer can go to a certain level of helping you set a goal realistically within like your numbers. This is what a computer predicts you can do. But then motivation can push beyond that, you know, in a lot of a lot of cases. So h- having empathy, trusting the expert, oftentimes mm-hmm. it's hard to trust AI given the limited amount of data that it is it is given. Um, sometimes data coming in is actually bad data. Your your power meter was not, you know, accurate. Heart rate was not accurate. You were not at 180 heart rate on that descent. You know, descending for five minutes, right? Heart rate can be bad. Um, so a lot of it comes down to the quality of the data coming in gives the quality of the data going out, right? So we truly believe in the human coach, but we want the computer to make the coach better. And more intelligent. And so that's what we are focused on. I also believe there's no one right way to coach. You know, there are thousands of different methodologies out there. There's no one training peaks methodology. You know, you we think of our coaches as authors, and an author will write a book and they use Microsoft Word, but Microsoft is not telling them what words to choose. That's what Training Peaks is. We're an authoring platform. Uh, we allow the coaches to express their methodology. Some coaches believe in high carb, some believe in low carb, right? Some coaches believe in 80 20, some think the opposite. Um, so, again, there's no one right way to, to, to train.
0: Yeah. I love that. That's great. So you create this platform, which is amazing. It helps a bunch of endurance athletes. When, when do you start to get the idea to use this platform in other ways and, and completely different things like music? Is it, when I heard this, it blew my mind. Such a great idea.
1: Yeah. Well, Peakswear is our holding company. We don't promote Peakswear, but Peaksware um, basically, you know, invests in other brands so the original was training peaks. And then we brought in train heroic. And train heroic is the same as training peaks, but it's for strength and conditioning. So we have coaches that want that manage teams and individuals and they want access to the data. We they want to do programming. Um, and so train heroic is really 100 percent through and through for strength training. We tried that at training peaks and we weren't authentic to it. These guys we saw in Chicago that started train heroic, we were like love that. They're preaching the same thing as Training Peaks. So uh, we we acquired Train Heroic and relocated them to Boulder. And now both brands are actually, they work closely together. They have the same um, product teams, product managers. We're able to now leverage knowledge between the two. So you'll see more of that kind of cross-pollination come into play in the next year or so. Um, but at the end of the day, Peaks where we help people get better at the things they love to do through deliberate practice. And we believe in expert instruction. We believe in the human coach. When I say coach, that could be instructor. It could also mean teacher. So we acquired a company called Make Music. They have an app called Smart Music, and it's the number one music education app in K-12 through in America. So, for example, the LA School District is a customer of ours. They use Smart Music in their in their music programs. Um so instead of having a coach, you have a music teacher. Um, instead of a workout, you have you know homework. Instead of a power file, you have a music file. Um, instead of a coach waking up in the morning and seeing who did their workout, the teacher can wake up in the morning and see who did their homework. Instead of seeing how much time in heart rate zone four did the athlete do, you know the music teacher can open up the music file and listen. Our, our app, Smart Music, will also assess and give immediate feedback to the student. So historically, you know, the teacher would say, go home and practice your clarinet you know, 20 minutes a day, and no one knew if they did it or not, and the parents can't help. You know? So here, here, the child can go home and open up their iPad, play the clarinet. If they hit the note, it's green. If they miss the note, it's red. They get immediate feedback as they're playing the sheet music. Um, They get done and they have a score and they may say, I can do better. So it kind of gets gamified. So the student tries to one up their previous, um, you know, play and then they're done. They hit submit. And now the teacher can quickly scan um, their class and how well did each student do, which student needs my help, you know, today they can dig into that student. um, They can listen to the file and then they can adjust the homework for that individual student to make them better. Um, so it's the very, very same thing between athletics, endurance, strength conditioning, you know, teaching music. And now we have a new app called Upbeat. So it allows the live just like we're doing now uh, through video. It's it allows for um, music teachers to work with with their students. But you would say, why can't I just use Zoom for that? Well, in the case of Upbeat, you could have five different students all on their own record uh, their individual piece, and then Upbeat will bring it all together as an ensemble. Wow. Um, so historically, that was a lot of editing. Now we have one app that can consolidate all those different, you know, you could have 30 different musicians and bring it all together into the virtual concert, for example. So that was born through COVID. And you know, none of the schools could have live concerts or symphonies, if you will. So um yeah, that's where upbeat came into play. Um and now we have uh we're launching another one in esports. So if you can believe it, esports is a thing. It's really big. And you can get D1's college scholarships in you know online gaming. What? And there's yeah, there's pro teams and there's universities that have full ride scholarships for for wow. for gaming. Um so lo and behold, you know gamers are hiring coaches. They want to level up. So now we're we've created Coachify. It's coachify.gg is the 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 website and we're just launching it. It actually goes live this fall. Um, but you can sign up for updates there if you want, but, um, it's the same thing. It's, it's helping gamers get better, level up, working with expert instruction and helping coaches manage their, their athletes. And there's actually pro teams and these, you know, guys are making million guys and gals are making millions of dollars a year, you know, playing these, these online games. Um, so that's an emerging market and we're investing in that area. And that's where Peaksware comes into play. So we 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 invest in new domains to help people get better at the things they love to do.
0: That's absolutely amazing. Okay, I've got a selfish question for you. Does it work with NES, the original Nintendo that I have downstairs that I play <laughs> Blades of Steel and Tecmo Super Bowl? Would it work for those?
1: Yeah, once we have a marketplace of coaches <laughs> and you can go search and find a oh, coach good. that's an expert in that for sure. Okay. We can or go go find a coach and then tell them to use Coachify to manage your data. <laughs> But there's a lot of APIs, you know, now with these games, so you could actually pull in the highlights, you know, of the game um, for replays, um, analysis, stats. So we'll be able to tap into a lot of the APIs on the newer games and maybe not the older ones like you just mentioned. (laughs)
0: <laughs> that's incredible. I'm just looking to stop Bo Jackson. Like He is unstoppable in Super Tech Mobile. He just runs <laughs> circles around everybody. So if I get coaching around that. <laughs> no, it, it's really uh, quite amazing to talk about some of these technologies and how that's evolving and what an amazing tool. And I think the thing that the thing that sounds the most engaging to me is when you said gamify, if I'm practicing, you know, a, a musical instrument, that was pure misery for me. But if, if, if I'm seeing that instant feedback, like, yeah, I'm going to naturally want to get better and better at that. So what a motivating thing to include and to be able to share that in so many different ways with people, I think is absolutely outstanding.
1: Yeah. And also it allows the student to discover new songs. You know, they can go into the library within their smart music you know application and find more popular songs. You know, their teacher may have prescribed what they need to learn for the upcoming concert, you know, winter concert. Um, but they want to play the cool new whatever from Frozen, the movie Frozen, right? We have that content. We have the Disney content, you know, we have the latest and greatest new movies and and uh, Broadway shows, you know, a, you know, I mean, literally, when a new show comes out, we're working hard to get that content into Smart Music. So it really, you know, helps engage that the uh, student to even discover things that they really want to play beyond what they're practicing, you know, for the concert.
0: Yeah, dude, I love that. That's so cool. This has been an amazing discussion. I love learning um, about all these platforms that can really help people improve their performance. And it it makes a big deal, whether you're a professional athlete or whether you're 45 and you're trying to do your first sprint triathlon, like it's a big deal and and it should be, it should be celebrated and your friends and family are going to be there. The pictures are going to live on social media forever, but to be able to do it, you need to do it well. You need to do it smart. And that's where I think training peaks is just such a wonderful tool to be able to find the plans and find the coaches that can help people get to those goals and create literally special moments in their lives, which I, I think is yeah. so critically <clears throat> important. Um, but for the listener, yeah. where can they go to find you and connect with you in your work and where can they find training peaks?
1: Well, training peaks is easy training peaks.com. Um, but me socially, you know, interaction is really through Instagram. That's the only one really I leverage. So you can reach out through Instagram to me. Um, but yeah, back to coaching. It's it, I just have a thought between music and triathlon. Let's say, you know, I'm a horrible musician. Actually, I have no background. So if I worked with an instructor, they can make immense gains, right? In just like two sessions. Like how how many how how much could I learn, and how to play the oboe? You right? In in like three sessions. Um, it's the same thing in triathlon. If you're very new to triathlon, imagine the gains you could make with three sessions with a coach,
0: totally. you
1: know, or get six months worth of coaching. It's just like, oh my Lord, you would be so far ahead of trying to do it on your own. Like me trying to play the oboe on my own. Like I I just like, wouldn't get anywhere. You know, it's the very same thing. No matter what you might be new at. So expert instruction can actually help, you know, you know folks new to that domain, that sport, whatever it may be. Um, they can help those folks a lot more than they can help the professionals. Yeah. That's They're more such, valuable.
0: Such a great point. Yeah, I absolutely love that. Well, I will turn you loose to go celebrate the Stanley Cup win. Dirk Friel, thank you so <laughs> very much for um, for appearing on our show. Thank you for all of your work and everything you do. Um, and thank you for taking some time to be on our show today. We really appreciate you.
1: Yeah, it's awesome. Thank you so much, Casey. That was a lot of fun. Thanks. Absolutely.
0: That was fun. And this has been another episode of Boundless Body Radio. Thank you again so very much for continuing to listen to and support Boundless Body Radio. This little passion project that we started almost two years ago just continues to steadily grow. We are reaching more people than ever, and we keep receiving so many inspirational and amazing messages from you. We see it in all the reviews that we get, and we really appreciate that. So thank you so very much for that. We love understanding which guests you really connect with and which content you really appreciate the most. We wanted to take a second also to give a huge shout out to our amazing guests. We love the people that we've been able to host and all their amazing content in these awesome conversations. And we have to say in the pipeline, we already have lots of great episodes that will be coming to you soon and lots of great guests. Some will be new to the show and others will be familiar to you if you have been listening to our show for a while. So look forward to that on our website, which is myboundlessbody.com. We are still running a lot of the same offers that we have been running for the last few months. These offers are complimentary and we've really had a great time connecting with people all over the world who are taking advantage of these. So if you go to our website, which again is myboundlessbody.com, on the main page, you'll find a button that says book now. You can book either a functional movement screen, which is a movement screening tool used to evaluate movement patterns, to optimize mobility, fitness, and injury prevention, We do that virtually through Zoom with a bit of creativity. You can book that session, which takes about 30 minutes and is complimentary. You can also see another booking for a 30-minute consultation with us where we can really chat about anything that you like. We can talk about fitness or nutrition or help you come up with a plan for you to be able to reach your goals. As always, it really helps us grow if you leave us a rating and review. So please be sure to go to Apple, leave us a five-star rating and review. And thank you, as always, for listening to Boundless Body Radio.